This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only... The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including The Decisive Battles of World History. For this limited time 80% offer, please go to thegreatcourses.com WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, terrorists are dead. Most of the hostages are safe. That's a pretty good day, given how things started out Friday morning. Uh, it is. and uh, But, of course, what it looks like, they could be at least 20 innocent, well, not at least, but about 20 innocent people killed, maybe, over these three days in, in France. Uh, pretty astounding uh, by people who were trained by al-Qaeda and basically are al-Qaeda operatives, so far as we can tell. Um, so much for the notion that al-Qaeda is uh, decimated or on the run or there's no connection between these uh, lone wolves and some European capitals and people and, and the actual uh, al-Qaeda you know, directors uh, in Yemen or in Iraq and Syria. I mean, it is a global war on terror. People can make fun of George W. Bush for, for that term, and maybe he could have been more specific about the kind of the roots of that terror, and maybe there was a little bit too much generality or abstractness to it, but at the end of the day, he was much more right than wrong. And unfortunately, President Obama is going to be proved to be, have been much more wrong than right. I don't understand still, after all of the terrorist attacks, why is it that the conversation inevitably gets bogged down, as it has this week, in the, what is the right way to talk about Islam? As though that's, you know, the, the pressing a, a, a moment. Uh, Andrea Mitchell said earlier today that Muslims in France feel like they're, quote, under fire. No, the people under fire are the people being shot at by the terrorists who happen to be Muslims. Is this, are we simply not going to be able to rise above this political correctness debate and ever just move on to acknowledge that there's a problem inside Islam and the world's having to deal with it? You know, one thing that's heartening, and I mentioned this in the editorial that's now up on the website, is uh, of course, the president of Egypt, a rather large Islamic nation, in a speech to a major Islamic university in Cairo, said Islam has a problem, said that it's ridiculous to deny that there's a problem at the heart of contemporary Islam, of a real existing Islam, if I can use a term that was used often about uh, communism in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Whatever the theories, we can have endless debates about how, in principle, Islam is or isn't more violent than other religions and could or couldn't be adapted to modernity. But at some level, that's all interesting. I'm personally interested in some of those academic and intellectual arguments. But in the real world, we've got to kill Islamic terrorists. We have to kill other kinds of terrorists, too. It happens that our major problem right now is Islamic terrorists. And one of the best ways to deter uh, people within Islam from thinking that it's a good idea to sign up with the jihadists, with these extremists, with the violent uh, strands of Islam, is to make it extremely unprofitable to do so. Can you stop every single person? No. But it makes a big difference if they think they're winning or losing. I, I always come back to Osama bin Laden's strong horse, weak horse, which is, a, you know, the intellectuals think is very simple-minded, but seems to be a pretty good predictor of what happens. And why did these, why, why are your, I mean, there are many reasons why European Muslims, European Arab, Arabs of uh, Europeans of Arab descent, Frenchmen of Arab descent uh, are unhappy with life, perhaps. But uh, you can be 
disgruntled, you can be offended by cartoons, you can think the job opportunities aren't very good. That is very different from going in and slaughtering journalists or, or, or killing people in a, in a Jewish uh, grocery store, so kosher grocery store. So I couldn't agree more. This has been over-intellectualized. A lot of the intellectualizing is used as an excuse or for not confronting the problem. And we need to be serious about defeating terrorism uh, and uh, defeating Islamic terrorism and making it unprofitable for people to sign up to be Islamic terrorists. Is there some value in actually defending the notion of freedom to affirmatively say, look, not only is it their right at this cartoon, to, you know, the magazine to publish these cartoons, it's their job, it's what they do, and that conversation is so uh, settled, to use something that the climate scientists like to talk about, so settled that there's no reason to debate it again. It was embarrassing to watch people at the New York Times and even the, the Catholic League, the head of the Catholic League, trying to argue, well, you know, maybe there is some validity in this idea that we should have restrictions on speech. Where are the good old-fashioned liberals, Bill Crystal? Well, they really need to reappear, and conservatives need to carry that liberal banner, but that's a banner that's not just liberal. It's obviously a banner of the conservatives and liberals and serious liberals share or should share in defending free speech. There is a right to offend. And it's really pathetic to see these news organizations, including the New York Times, talk about, well, we never would do anything that would offend the sensibilities of our readers. First of all, it's ludicrous and hypocritical, and they routinely do things that offend the sensibilities of all kinds of readers. But they have the right to. And I would say after journalists are slaughtered in Paris for printing certain cartoons, they have an obligation to let their readers know what the issue was that led to the killing. So uh, the, the, the cowardice in not printing the cartoons, the incredible... Uh, sophistic justifications of not offending people. Uh, that absolutely has to be taken on. Matt Continetti has a good piece on this and this morning's uh, Free Beacon, and, and I think we linked to it on the website. And uh, We address it, actually, Mark Hemingway addresses it in the Weekly Standard. But uh, it's, you know, people wander, you know, just sweet, Charlie Hebdo there, everyone says that, and then they're unwilling to do what the actual courageous liberals of Charlie Hebdo did, which was to offend people even when they were told and when they'd been attacked before. And they were told that it was dangerous to do so. So I, I couldn't agree more. The the I say this in the editorial. There's a crisis in Islam. We cannot blink that away. We shouldn't paper that over. There's also a crisis in the West, and it is a crisis of us losing our nerve. And that's ultimately as serious as the crisis in Islam. Uh, because of my connections with Boston, I'm very familiar with uh, Brandeis, and it was hilarious that some of the people I know in Brandeis were telling me that there were Your Sweet Charlie signs outside the same dorms where people had demanded that Ayan Hirsi Ali be banned from campus and not allowed to speak. Uh, apparently, they're not teaching irony 101 at uh, colleges in America today. Well, the colleges are horrible. I mean, they've, they tried to persecute this Brandeis student who wrote a column quoting something that another Brandeis student had written that was sort of unbelievably um, uh, hostile to the police and sort of kind of good riddance to New York cops kind of thing. Uh, again, I don't think that first student necessarily should be punished for having written that. I don't think it speaks very well to Brandeis's admission standards, perhaps, that they have students who uh, have such views and express them in such, you know, kind of an offensive way and a stupid way. But but the other students certainly should be allowed to point out that this other student had written such things. But no, that, that the student who just pointed out what the first student had done uh, was, I don't know, sort of they tried to kind of discipline him. Right. It looks like they've backed off now because of the publicity. So no, you're right. The colleges, I'd say the, the universities and the media are really the most corrupt and sort of decadent institutions in America. They have some real effect, obviously, on, on people's views and on the culture. And really overcoming that is almost as important. It sounds kind of crazy to say it, but it's almost as important as actually 
going out and, and stopping and killing terrorists out around the world. Well, remember, the ultimate form of hate speech is to quote a liberal accurately. There's nothing more hateful than that, Bill. Uh, speaking of politics, uh, we've already had some moving and shaking in the presidential race. Uh, uh, Mike Huckabee is you know, looking at getting in, uh, and the, uh, the, jebonaut, the juggernaut, the jebernaut, seems yeah, right. to be uh, gaining speed even as we speak. Yeah, I'm kind of against juggernauts and jebernauts and coronations, and so... Uh, look, Jeb is entitled to run. I'm a little bit of a skeptic, but, you know, let's see if he has a message that's a message for 2016, not for 2006, and let's see what his agenda is. I mean, we just don't know. I think it's it's equally ridiculous for people, uh, somewhat ridiculous for people to be denouncing him uh, fervently right now when they sort of assume he has certain views they don't know about, though they do know his views on immigration and common core, to be fair. But it's even more ridiculous for people to be embracing him as the savior of the party. What, does he get, what's his strategy for repealing and replacing Obamacare? What's his strategy for fighting the war? fighting the war on terror, for dealing with the Iranian nuclear program. What defense budget does he think is appropriate? I think it's much better to wait and see what all these candidates say, how good candidates they are, how many votes they might attract from, from independents and from Democrats, and, but also how well they'll be able to carry out conservative principles in office. So I'm, as I said in the editorial a couple of weeks ago, I'm for the more the merrier. And again, I really would just caution people not to get, get sort of stampeded by three articles and the New York Times and Politico that make it sound like someone is inevitable or the trains leaving the station and all that, all that kind of nonsense. You know, we talked about courage before in terms of standing up to uh, Islamic terrorists and standing up to political correctness. There's also a kind of political courage, which uh, we, it would be nice if maybe a few more people showed of being willing to run, even if the odds aren't with you, even if the donors tell you, oh, this isn't your time. And I, I'm going to be impressed if the Marco Rubios of the world say, you know what? Jeb Bush is a great guy. Uh, he's personally been nice to me. Uh, I admire what he did as governor, but I think I might have—I'd be a better president in 2017. If someone like Rubio announced that in the next couple of weeks, I think it would really show a kind of toughness that would be impressive to people. Yeah, uh, Jeb Bush combining the working-class economic appeal of Mitt Romney with the ability to motivate the base of John McCain. I, I don't see how anyone else has a chance of getting the nomination. He's exactly what you'd expect the Republicans to nominate. That could be. I mean, that's sort of my prejudice. And I guess I would say, let's, you know, he may prove us wrong, right? He may come out with a really compelling populist mm-hmm. economic agenda. And, uh, and he may have a lot to say that would really stir up uh, not the base and in a good way and also independence. But, again, he has to prove it. I guess that's my attitude with Jeb Bush. And, and, to be, and I would even say, to be fair, he has to prove it a little more than other people. Right. Whatever you think of Cruz or Rubio or Walker or Pence, or Christie, they are all in the Senate or in governor's mansions doing things in real time. They have been for the last three, four, five, six years. So we know, we can judge them sort of in terms of the current challenges we face. The governors and foreign policy are a little harder to judge, but even so, they're, they're facing real challenges. Or Rick Perry has been governor for 12 years, the last 12 years. Jeb Bush, and to some degree Mike Huckabee, um, though to a less degree Huckabee, because he has been at least engaged in the debates. But Jeb Bush in particular, I feel like we don't know. I mean, and, and that it's ridiculous to presume that uh, I'm a little puzzled that everyone presumes he's necessarily more capable of governing than all these people who've been in the fight for the last few years. One question I would put to Jeb Bush, and I have put it actually to his people, is, well, where has he been? I mean, he presumably cares a lot. I mean, he's entitled to take some time off. He was governor. He's entitled not to be at every debate, every fight, every legislative back and forth. But there have been sort of big issues at stake over the last several years. Dick Cheney's been out of office, but he's certainly engaged right. on the issues. He has some special expertise and knowledge about Rudy Giuliani's been out of office a long time. He's engaged on the issues where he really has something to say. I think Jeb Bush has not been much engaged 
except on immigration and on Common Core, where he's probably at odds with most Republican primary voters. Uh, and I don't think, frankly, he's made his argument terribly well on either. And uh, on the other issues, he's just sort of taken a pass. And I think one legitimate question to ask him is, where have you been? But there's also the the Bush problem. He has to acknowledge that his name is going to be a, likely to be a problem in the general election in 2016. And so he needs to have an additional motivation, an extra booster of popularity that's going to overcome the natural resistance of Americans after the primaries to vote for another Bush. The fact is the Bush brand is in great shape right now. Yeah, he has to have uh, maybe even more than everyone else a forward-looking agenda. Um, I agree with that. So it has to be about Jeb, not about Bush. And it has to be about Jeb in 2017, not about Jeb as governor of Florida a decade ago. Bill Crystal, thanks for the analysis. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.